Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today, I am glad to have Rick Martin with us. He's a veteran real estate investor, and he's also the founder of Fortress Federation Investments. They help investors establish passive income streams uh, by investing in real estate syndications. So he's got holdings kind of all over the place, Seattle, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, uh, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Texas, I mean, kind of everywhere. Uh, he's got a background in entertainment and advertising, and he provides a lot of really excellent educational content. You might've seen him on LinkedIn and, and elsewhere with his, his videos and other content. And he's a limited partner in over a thousand doors, 1,100 actually around the country and has been pretty active lately, uh, passive investing and co-sponsoring deals. So want to dive in, learn more. Uh, Rick, welcome. How are you? Hey, Devin. I'm great. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate this. Yeah, thank you for, for jumping on. Um, I'd like to kind of dive in. Well, first of all, uh, we, we kind of discussed this earlier, but for the benefit of everybody listening, where are you, where are you based out of these days? I am now in Redondo Beach, California. Um, I started out in Seattle years ago, and then about 20 years ago, I uh, had a career change, and that brought me down to uh, Hollywood, and then finally made it out to the beach where I wanted to be, and here I am. Awesome. Were you in Seattle in uh, like the early 90s? Were you there for all of that? You got it. It's funny you bring that up, actually. Man, um, so I... I'm, yeah. I graduated high school late '90s, so that's that's my era, right? You know, and all mm -hmm. that stuff coming out of Seattle. I'm a guitar player too. Was like, you know, that was such a big deal. So that must have been pretty cool living there through that. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Um, no, I, that that's part of my my background. Actually, I am. Um, you know, I did go to college. I, I graduated from the, the University of Washington School of Business. Uh, but come from a big family of musicians and including my dad, he was a drummer and cool. he played the vibes and, um, but mom and dad definitely didn't want us to be musicians. <laughs> they, they, and that's because I, I come from a big family and I was number eight out of eight kids and oh, wow. they'd been, they'd been through it with all my brothers. You know, they all, they all played in bands. They played guitar and play piano. And, um, I, uh, I discovered guitar back when I was, a, I think it was, right toward the end of elementary and uh, loved it, you know, probably back then it was more about the girls, but I eventually I fell in love with the guitar itself and, right. uh, and kept working at it, kept studying. And, and I, I was writing songs all throughout uh, college. Um, and uh, at right at the end of college, you know, you, the, the school of business, they, 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 they set you up with some good interviews. And so I was having interviews and I, I just didn't feel right. Didn't feel like a good fit. <laughs> it didn't feel like me um and i uh, had a heart to heart with my dad and you know hey dad i, I want to rock you know i gotta do this so um i actually i took a, a a trip um around the world that first year out of college um and it was you know on my own it was wow it was you know really you could do some real soul searching that way and you know did some songwriting and whatnot um, came back and pursued that dream. And yeah, luckily enough, it kind of um, uh, lined up right with the, the grunge scene that was going on right at that time. And it was a very exciting time. And everybody felt like they were going to make it, including me. Yeah. And um, well, because a lot of people were, right? I mean, th there was stuff just coming out of Seattle like oh, yeah. crazy. A lot. And 
and there was a lot of great talent. Um, no doubt. Yeah. There was, there was a lot that wasn't great talent, but, um, you know, there, you, you felt like you had a shot and it was exciting. You get on some big bills with some big bands. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you get a lot of note, you know, a lot of notoriety, you get your name out there kind of like this business, you know? And, um, I, I, I just, I had that feeling. And then I think toward the end, I had this one band that was going pretty well and, um, but we just weren't getting over the top, you know? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that sort of fell apart and I got called into, uh, audition as a guitar player, backup singer for another band. Um, and I just didn't feel it. I just didn't mm -hmm. feel it, but um, it, just, it was, just wasn't my thing. Um, they were they were good and everything, and they actually went on to do pretty well. And people ask me, you know, do you regret that? And honestly, I don't. I really don't. Um, it just didn't feel right, you know. It, it, it's that it's that uh, same thing. Sitting in that interview, that job interview uh, for cor uh, the corporate corporate world, it just didn't feel right. So, um, but yeah, it was an exciting time, and uh, you know it. It uh, helped build me to be the person I am today. It was it's part of my story, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I love it. Thanks for for sharing that. And you touched on something, Rick, about you know, kind of your gut feeling around the job or that band. It can be real hard to justify your decisions to other people based on that. But I, I just I've been in countless situations, whether it was career decisions or business decisions or whatever, where my gut was definitely right. And, you know, I've ignored that a few times with negative results. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't know what that is, but um, it's funny, you know, th that band went somewhere and it's like, yeah, but great, great. That, that worked out. But if it wasn't a fit for you, uh, great. You know, kudos to you for kind of recognizing that and taking action around that. So I, I think that something I use a lot more and more in my business today is just trying to pay attention to how it feels. And if it, that gut feel. it doesn't feel right, especially with like picking partners and stuff, right. I've totally um, been very awesome. fortunate across the board, but there's been a few where I kind of knew from the beginning this, you know, and I, and I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done it. And um, that it, it played out that way. And my gut was, uh, was kind of right. So interesting stuff there for sure. Yeah, no, you, you, you kind of nail it. Um, I've, I've been, de yeah, I've been dealing with that lately. I hadn't really drawn the, the parallel there, but, um, you know, you're always constantly partnering up in this, in this uh, world of syndication and, um, Hey, if you're a limited partner, you have to trust that, that operator. And, um, you know, you can analyze all the, the spreadsheets and all the market fundamentals, but if something's just telling you something's off, something's just not right, you, you really do have to pay attention. And uh, I'm, I'm like you, you know, I haven't always uh, adhered to the red flags, you know, there'll there'll be a few out there sure. and they're, they're yelling at you, yeah. but um, you know, maybe your heart, your heart's so uh, in love with the deal that you move forward anyway. And that, that can be a mistake. You got to know when to walk away. Right. Yeah. And I see that a lot in the, and, and I saw it on myself in kind of the beginning of getting into all this stuff. You're just so hot to trot to do a deal and that's great. You know, when you're starting out, you want to use all that energy and momentum uh, to, to push you out of kind of the inertia of, of whatever, you know, whatever you got. But at the same time, um, you know, I suspect we're all going to be doing real estate deals for a long time to come and you don't have to jump on the deal next week if it's not a, if it's not a total fit for you, you know? Yeah. No, I, that's a good quote where uh, having no deal is better than having a bad deal. Amen. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, 
hundred percent. Um, so kind of stepping back, you know, you've been in real estate a long time. What was your first foray into kind of the investment side of it? And what, what led you to that? What was there, you know, was there a yeah. mentor right. a book or some kind of trigger? What, how, how'd that happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not all left brain. I'm a right brain guy too. Right. I went yeah. to the, the, the school of business in, in UW and um, even though I was pursuing this dream, I, I was always working on the backup plan and um, I, I was always pretty good about putting my money away, you know, invest. I think I'd invest 20% in myself um, every paycheck. Right. Awesome. You know, they say pay yourself first. So sure. I, I was doing pretty good um, saving up the nest egg and um, you know, it was, it was very accidental. What you do is you buy a house, right? So um, it was right at the time actually that the 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 dream of uh, music sort of came to a or a rock music game came to a halt and i was doing uh jazz music mm -hmm. and um i i bought a house and um was working a pretty decent job also and um but it it came to the point where you know I, am i going to be a jazz musician it, it it wasn't really i didn't have the same uh, passion for it. So um, I took a career change. And that's what got me into the entertainment field. I went up to um, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and went to the Vancouver Film School up there. And um, I had to do something with the house, I could either sell it or I could uh, rent it. And I uh, luckily, I decided to hang on to that thing. And I, I rented it and um, put a tenant in there. And I was I was getting some nice cash flow. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, hadn't read any books. Um, uh, just kind of learned that way. And then I continued to do that. You know, I would, um, I, I was going to buy a house every year. It, it, it didn't turn out because, you know, coming out of school and whatnot and paying for school myself, it was, uh, not so easy to do, but, um, eventually I got around buying, uh, a few places. I was kind of working my way down the coast. I was, I was in Nevada and, um, and then eventually when I moved down to LA, I was, um, I bought a place in uh, Palm Desert, actually partnering on a couple duplexes in Palm Desert and um, was, you know, was was kind of finding like, well, you know, there is sort of a limit to this. And um, then I, that's when I kind of discovered bigger pockets. And I wish I'd discovered that sooner, um, but uh, better late than never. And uh, started burying properties in uh, in the Midwest in Indianapolis, as well as buying buy and holds. I think my first property out there was a buy and hold that went okay. It had some had some interesting stories that kind of took the returns down. Um, and to answer your question, I think I I came upon like I think it was a Michael Blanc podcast maybe that I discovered through the Bigger Pockets podcast and started learning about this thing um, about multifamily. And syndication kind of came later. I, I, um, I, my, my transition uh, really uh, was a bit of a, a metamorphosis. You know, at first I was like, okay, well, uh, my, my wife was on board. Like, she was great. Like, we, we sold our place uh, in L.A. and we had this big chunk of dough. Um, I mean, homes out here are ridiculously expensive. Crazy. So yeah. when, when you sell, you know, you got you got quite a bit of equity. And... You know, luckily I'd read the, the the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I thought, well, we could take this and buy an apartment and get paid every month, or we could take this and have to pay like five or six grand ourselves. Uh, what do you think? 
And I, you know, I wrote a whole blog article on that. You know, do you want the American dream of buying a home or do you want financial freedom, you know, which, yeah. which or financial independence, which is more important. And, you know, throughout different parts of the country, you don't really have to make that choice because it makes sense to buy a house because it's not that expensive. But out here, you really have to, you kind of have to weigh that. So we were going to buy an apartment. And um, then I started to learn, well, you know, this is pretty, still pretty risky, you know, that you have far fewer doors, right? And, um, you know, you can't go out and buy a hundred unit on your own. I, I guess some people can, we could not. We we're looking at like, uh, you know, 12, you know, 12, 16 units. And yep. so you got, you got fewer doors and you, you're on the hook for the, the debt, right? You're, <clears throat> you're having to pay recourse debt. So then I was shifting to uh, let's JV with some other other people that, that know what they're doing. All, all the while, by the way, I was studying up and, and learning a great deal about multifamily and, and kept my ear on syndication. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we're gonna JV. But now we're coming up against that. Well, you can't put an onsite manager on the property and, yeah. and property management is pretty expensive. And it, at least out here, we were going into, um, I had been going into like Columbus, Ohio, but that was logistically, it's pretty tough from out here in LA. You need to basically have boots on the ground. So started um, making trips over to like Tucson, Arizona. And once that property management got worked in there, it was, um, it was kind of killing the returns. Yeah. And, you know, you kept hearing, well, you, you got to be like 70, 75 plus, you know, so you can afford that um, on-site property management. And, um, and that's when I, I, I started to uh, look into syndicating, you know, thinking, you know, I'm, I'm working my way up all these options and this seems to make the most sense. Um, but then again, you know, being out here in Redondo beach, I can't walk out my door and go tour properties. So, um, then you, you definitely have to build some nice relationships around the country and in parts of the country that you're interested in. Like I'm interested in, in Texas and I'm interested in, in the Southeast. And, um, you know, it, there's so many great people in this business and you, you can identify with people and really make friendships actually. And, yep. um, that's what's been happening lately. Um, not only is it, uh, you know, good business, but it's fun to go have a beer with these guys or, a, you know, a cup of tea or whatever you drink. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm finding that to be pretty exciting and I just love talking shop with people as well. Yeah. The, it's funny how, uh, you get this nationwide, you know, kind of approach to investing Hey, maybe you're not going to invest in every state, but you're, you know, you're invested in a lot of different States. This is, you know, big, big country, obviously. And then there's like, it feels like such a small world, right? You know, I mean, you, you and I are connected to multiple other people and you go to a conference and you see, oh, hey, it's, you know, the same kind of handful of folks. I, I tell people that are kind of new in the business, like, listen, you should always treat everybody good, but in multifamily, like, especially because it is a tiny little world and, um, you know, yeah. your reputation's everything. And this is a long-term, this is a long-term proposition here. So, uh, that's, yeah. that's great though. You know, it's great to have kind of some relationships and, you know, you and I mentioned a couple of people before we jumped on here that like, yeah, those guys are out in your neck of the woods. I know them real well. I've had meals with those guys and are consider those guys friends. And, um, this industry's a lot of fun in that, in, in that regard. It's, it's pretty small, tight knit community. It is. I think, you know, we all have similar goals, right? A lot of us are, are, uh, you know, parents or, uh, a lot of us are, um, 
you know, just maybe tired of the rat race and, and want to have a bit more time freedom. And so we all have similar goals. We're, we're all trying to get to the same place. And, uh, right. you know, I think if you take the approach that we can help each other out as opposed to competing with each other, um, it's going to turn out a lot better for you. Um, you know, I learned that, you know, why, why beat them if you can join them? Like right. you're in, you're in San Antonio, that that's a great market. I'm not in San Antonio. Um, yeah. How could I compete with Devin Elder in San Antonio? Um, so it's, it's better to, to, um, you know, make, get, you know, get, get good relationships going with people in, in a market that you're interested in with, with people that really know what they're doing. They're the, the boots on the ground. They, they understand the numbers immediately uh, that's on the back of their hands. So. Yeah, that's right. I've seen that, that mindset with a lot of folks in this industry too, is that kind of that abundance mentality, right? Where um, I, I never really saw that in the corporate world in the spots that I happen to find myself in. And so it's kind of refreshing in that regard too. There's, and multifamily in general, the deals are so big and I've, I've done too much single family stuff in my life. And, you know, you're really working hard for at the end of the day, like a relatively small amount of profit, but you talk mm -hmm. about a $10 million apartment building. It's pretty easy to put a couple of partners on that deal because the pie is so much bigger and that, you know, if you can structure, we've kind of said since day one as a company, if you can structure something where everybody wins, everybody's gonna be lining up to do it again and makes it a lot easier to just kind of keep, keep, doing deals when, when everybody, uh, when everybody wins on it. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going through that right now. I'm, I'm, um, you know, I, I, uh, I have some people that are, they're experienced investors, but they're experienced in the stock market and right. they can't quite wrap their head around, um, this, this, uh, syndication thing. Sure. Um, you know, maybe they're a little skeptical. Maybe they think, um, it's a Ponzi scheme or something. And, and really, um, it's just a, if you, if you, if you think about it, it's, it's just a business being operated as well as can be. Um, the, all the numbers are laid out in front of you. Uh, you have a lot better chance of actually analyzing this, this deal, even as a limited partner and, and seeing, okay, this makes sense. Right. Uh, I can see how uh, we can do this. It's not rocket science. You know, you, you have, um, more, uh, income than you do expenses and, um, what's left over. We all get to, to split up and we're all in this together. Um, but it's, you know, it's not that easy in the beginning to, I, I think what, you know, what you touched on is once you do a few and people start getting those, um, those paychecks in the mail or in their, you know, ACH or whatever, it's, right. the light bulb goes off. And then, you know, not only are you getting this cash flow, and if you do enough of them, you can build up that cash flow, but then there's this, you know, this thing waiting for you at the end, <laughs> whether it's a, a refinance, maybe you get some money pulled out or there's a sale at the end. And, um, I did a, I did an article that was really popular about, you know, how, how, um, how much are you going to make if you invest 50,000 a year into a syndication? And, um, you know, there's different ways you could model that, but basically my, my approach was you spend the cash flow. Um, now this is for a working person, uh, sure. uh uh, someone who's who's earning money and saving up and they have a nest egg or they either have a nest egg or they're working and and um, they're putting fifty thousand dollars each year into a syndication well you can be spending that let's say you know six seven eight seven eight percent cash on cash um, and then you just reinvest the profits and then by the end of that ten years you're up 
you're pushing a million dollars. Um, and it's a pretty simple model. It's a pretty simple strategy. And, um, you know, the more aggressive you want to be, the more, the more uh, reward you can take. You know, taking on more risk, of course, but uh, no risk, no reward. And another another thing I really I think that that may get lost on a lot of people with it, with syndications is you're you're buying in uh, going in pre after repair value right like um, if you compare it to like a turnkey business for instance if you buy a turnkey property um, you're buying it after repair value you're you're basically paying retail so you're kind of at the whims of the the market appreciation right. Right. Whereas um, you come in on the syndication, uh, none of the, if it's a value add deal, if you're not investing in a stabilized uh, property, um, and there's a little meat on the bone there, um, you're you're going in pre all the repairs, so you get to build that equity going into the deal. Um, not to mention um, all the effort that's put into building a relationship with with someone that's bringing you that property. You know, buying. Everybody wants an off-market deal, right? But it's not that easy. You really have to build some some uh, strong relationships to have properties brought to you off-market. Um, and I think that sometimes that gets glossed over. That's, there's so much work that goes into bringing a property to be acquired, um, and there's real value in that. You know, you you get this equity going in. Now there are markets where, of course, you got. 20, 25 offers driving up, driving up the price. And, and um, that's not good. You don't want to overpay for a property. If, if they are overpaying, they better have a good value. I plan to uh, make sure that you're, um, you know, they're not being too aggressive on their numbers and you're still going to get the returns that everybody's um, counting on. But um, yeah, you know, that pre, that pre uh, value add is such a, such a um, built in value that um, people need to be aware of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a lot that goes in the acquisition, and um, that's fun part of the business model. We can go take down big deals, you know, that maybe none of us could go take down on our own and get uh, get some of the benefit out of that, um, which is which is great. How has uh, how has 2020 um, impacted your business, and what's you know what's that what's that looked like for you? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. Uh, well, take it back to March. Um, I, our, my, my family had to be on vacation. We were in Maui just having a great time. And um, we were sitting in a restaurant and I looked up and it said, all NBA games canceled. Yeah. <laughs> the NBA season canceled. Right. And I said, wow, this is real. Because over in Maui, it was paradise. No one was really taking it seriously. Um, and I happened to be in two deals right at that time. One was in Jacksonville and one was in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And I had been... You know, we've been having our meetings and um, uh, doing all the, the pre, pre-production basically before the raise and um, uh, still were in due diligence. And uh, then this went down and then I came home and life in LA was really different than it was in Redondo Beach. It was, it, you know, you had people lining up outside the grocery stores and uh, packing their- That's right. <laughs> back in their carts with toilet paper, toilet paper. Yeah. and um it was and nobody knew what was going on and um i had not been too concerned about it but then when i got home everything uh, that all changed and 
I was really concerned about these deals and um, everybody involved in the deals. We were, everybody was freaked out at that time, right? I'm sure you yeah. were. <laughs> everybody, it's not nobody, a fun month. Yeah. No, nobody knew what was going on. I'm sure people, a lot of people had money that went hard and it was, it was too late to get out. Um, I was one of them. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. We lost a deal, lost a hundred grand on it. Yeah. yeah. But, and, uh, and why was that? Did you, did you just think, eh, maybe this is not going to work and you, you uh, walked away. It was, uh, it was a, it was a pretty distressed deal, really bad occupancy. Um, mm-hmm. San Antonio deal. I, I like the deal. It's actually physically pretty nice project. Um, but I had a quarter million dollars earnest money. Wow. hundred of it was hard. The, mm-hmm. the rest of the uh, 150 was about to go hard and the credit markets just dried up. Yeah. I, I don't think I can close debt on this thing. Yeah. And I'm about to go in a quarter million dollars that I'm never going to see again. I'm going to take the 100K loss and terminate this contract. First time we've ever terminated a contract. You know what? I always brag about our record. Hey, we never, we've always closed deals we put under contract. I think we get a pass on that. But, you know, uh, and we'd already had a bunch of investor money coming in and just refunded it and said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to take this one on the chin. You know, we kind of were the buffer for the investors. And um, I, I joke that that was the worst week of the decade to, go hard with some earnest money. <laughs> yeah. And fortunately, yeah. Uh, you know, look, it's, it was not fun and not good, but uh, no investors lost any money. And we've, you know, we went on to close more deals this year and it just kind of like, uh, that's, you know, we're swimming in the deep end here and that's part of it sometimes. So that's, you know, yeah. You know, and that, and that says a lot about you. I should say a lot about you to your investors. Um, the way, you know, there were a lot of people that move forward. They, they didn't want to lose their hundred grand. Um, right. And they were ignoring that they were putting, you know, millions of dollars of investor money up um, and maybe it panned out for them. But I think what you're doing is you just had the investors best interests in mind and say, we can't, we can't take that risk. You know, yeah. Always. I could risk my, I could risk my hundred K, but I certainly can't risk, you know, 5 million, uh, oh, whatever, yeah, exactly. whatever the raise was. Yeah, exactly. um, and you could, you know, if you want to sleep at night for the rest of your life, um, you just, you probably shouldn't move forward. Um, and that's, I had to sting. I'm sorry. I, uh, luckily we were able to get our money out cause we did the same thing. Um, yep. we had, we had bridge debt on, um, both, both these deals had bridge debt. And as you know, bridge debt basically just dried up, dried up. Yep. And, and, um, all the, all the reserve requirements just spiked and suddenly the returns just didn't work period. And, yep. um, yeah, you know, we had, you know, it's tough. You get far down the river and you're excited and, and those were uh, both great deals. Um, so, yeah, I got off to a, a bit of a, a slow start and, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to touch base with investors. So I put a survey out there, kind of checking in with people, see, you know, are you, how are you feeling about investing right now? I, I wanted to know. Right. Um, I'm, and I, I hope they didn't take that like, hey, you want to do a deal? Because honestly, I was feeling... Um, very trepidatious at that time. I didn't want to do a deal, um, having been what we'd just been through, but still wanted to te- te- you know check the temperature of people. And for the most part, people it was kind of crickets. <laughs> people people didn't even get back, um, which was unusual because I, I have a base that's pretty engaged. Um, but uh, I did get I did get a fair amount coming in that were you know had lost a lot in the stock market, and sure. um, you know I felt you know everybody felt bad for those people and. Um, suddenly they just didn't have the money to invest or, um, they were just like everyone else. There's just so much uncertainty. No doubt. 
And, um, you know, looking back now, right, it's kind of odd, like things have performed pretty well. Yeah. Um, who knows if, 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 if um, some of that, uh, if, if the capital markets didn't dry up and we, we all moved forward, who knows, maybe would it, we would have done well, um, but it would have been a risk. Um, I decided sort of just to um, focus a little more on my business at that time, um, continue putting out content. Um, I, I do a lot of video uh, videos that are sort of educational. I, I write a lot of blogs um, and um, educate people that way and really wanted to kind of streamline that process um, and focus in on, um, you know, just, just creating that platform. So I spent a lot of time doing that and, um, you know, eventually things came back around and uh, got into a deal just recently, also in the Southeast. And um, it's looking great. Uh, the, the, it was a, it was a great price per door in um, a non-war zone. That's for sure. It's a, it's a working class neighborhood, but um, it's a nice working class neighborhood and walking the units um, was, it's a great experience. You know, you, you hear people say that, um, uh, you know, we really improve communities. And, and at first you're thinking, oh, you know, do they really mean that? Are they, right. you know, they're in it for the profits, right? I mean, they're sure. into, um, which we all have to be, yeah. right? We gotta, yeah. we gotta put bread on the table, but it's true. You know, walking through those units um, during this time, you know, everybody's wearing their masks and you see the little kids on their computers doing their virtual schooling. And, um, you know, a lot of them are, maybe they're single moms or, you, you, you don't know what their situation is, but they're good people. You know, you talk to them a little bit and, um, and you get excited about the fact like, hey, these people are gonna have a better life for um, you know, just a, maybe just a little bit more <laughs> rent. Um, they're gonna get quite a bit of value um, and uh, they're gonna get a safer community. And so the light bulb kind of goes off like, hey, we really are, uh, we're, we're doing more than just uh, padding our own wallets, you know, we are. Um, it's nice to be part of something that's uh, making a difference. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, a lot of these business plans are half a million, million bucks of capital improvements, maybe more in some cases, you know, um, some of the projects we've done or been involved in are like total transformations of a, of a property. Um, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool to be a part of. It is. It is. It's a, it's a definite fringe benefit. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, I suppose that's why there are all the tax breaks of, of real estate as opposed to, um, you know, stocks, stocks at paper money. It's, it's, it's not doing a lot for the community. Whereas, um, with real estate, um, that's the theory anyway, you know, you go in and, and you're, uh, you're improving, uh, improving the infrastructure and, and the community in general. Yeah. That's kind of the way I look at it. I mean, you definitely get some <clears throat> really excellent tax breaks, with depreciation and things like that. And then, you know, when we go get the debt on these things too, a lot of times it's, it's Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And, you know, I consider that kind of the government's way of saying there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of Americans to house. Um, we're going to kind of facilitate that with a nice loan product here. It's good terms and relatively easy to close um, without, you know, without the government being involved in the property operations, which should be a disaster, right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of hard work, but they're at least the government's facilitating it from a loan perspective and letting a lot of capital formation happen and then facilitating it kind of on the tax side as well. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of breaks. 
that real estate investors get um, an incredible amount of breaks if you structure it the right way. And I, I just look at that as, hey, the, the government kind of understands that there's a huge need and service that needs to be provided. And they can set up a couple things in the tax code and with some lending stuff and entrepreneurs are going to go take advantage of that stuff. So, you know, ideally everybody, uh, everybody wins, but yeah, tax breaks and, and the government uh, backed loans are, you know, part, part of this, um, part of this business in a lot of, in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've been thinking about what's the world going to look like after this, this pandemic, because yes. yeah. um you know, things are spiking again. Uh, it's not going away anytime soon. And I wonder, I wonder about um, commercial office space a lot. You know, right. there's some um, out here, everybody's, I mean, I suppose everywhere around the country, people are working remotely and you're, you got these big empty buildings. You got like the AT&T building out next to LAX out here in Los Angeles, empty. And how, how is it ever going to be filled again? You know, they're, they're having surveys where people um, they're asking people, do you, would you like to work from home? You know, and I, I know Google sort of like um, extended that. Um, so there's, there will be a transition to a lot more remote people working. And that could be a, a great thing, you know, for lifestyle and yeah. for, um, for the environment. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, okay, if you have a surplus of these commercial buildings, commercial office, and you have a total shortage in housing, you know, maybe we start converting some of these commercial spaces somehow. <laughs> Let's get the red tape out of the way and convert them into living space. Yep. And then you're, you're solving two problems at once. And hopefully things like that will start to uh, show some of the sil silver linings of this whole, whole, whole ordeal, you know? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that could create some opportunity. I think earlier in 2020, uh, or mid 2020, people thought there was going to be a lot of multifamily on sale because of di distress. I don't think that's going to happen. We haven't mm -hmm. really seen it um, mm -hmm. too much, maybe here and there, but it's it's not like a wholesale discount. But hotel and office is is mm -hmm. kind of a different animal. I was talking with our insurance broker actually at an event last week, and he said he they were working with somebody in Austin, Texas, just north of where we are, that they bought a hotel. And we're converting it to multifamily because the hotel was not doing well. I think they got it at a discount. And there's not a lot of, <laughs> a lot of demand for hotel, especially where the location was, but there's tremendous demand for multifamily. So they're doing a conversion hotel to multifamily. And I don't know all the ins and outs of the project. I'm, I'm not on it or anything, but I thought, you know, there's going to be some opportunity to come out of all this chaos. That, that might be it because the housing demand is not going anywhere. Right. Oh my goodness. It's just not going anywhere. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's great for multifamily. It, it's not good if you're looking at buying a, a single family right now, although right. who knows uh, at some point, right? <laughs> you tell me, Devin, is it ever, is this cycle ever going to end? I mean, for, for forever, it was every 10 years, you know, the market yep. would go up and then 10 years, about 10 years later, the market would go down. And then I remember in, um, 2006, you know, things were spiking. Um, and then, you know, 2000, actually 2007, right. And, um, and then the bottom, uh, fell out and, uh, and, and so I was thinking, well, okay, so 2017, right. We're, we must be getting near the crest here. I'm sure everybody was thinking that in sure. my family and single sure. family, um, getting ready, you know, storing their cash so they could, uh, you know, pay cash or 
for, for property or, or get in on some good deals with multifamily. And um, just hasn't been the case. And now you wonder what, if this, <laughs> if this won't cause uh, a change in the housing market, what, what will? Right. Yeah, I, I, I spent a fair bit of time kind of thinking about that. And nobody, know, you know, nobody could have seen 2020 coming and nobody's going to see whatever the next thing is coming. But um, the, the amount of quantitative easing that's happened in the last decade, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it just, it kind of creates a new game. Um, there's so much money being printed and, you know, I think the feds kind of backed into a corner with, we've got so much debt to service that you can't, you can't really raise the rates too much, I think for the foreseeable future. So I, I, I don't know what that means. Um, there's a lot of variables in the, in the stew here, but i I do feel pretty good about, um, real assets that are tied to a mortgage, you know, let's lock up a mortgage on this property in something real because we've printed trillions of dollars and it's going to have an impact an inflationary impact at some point. And we're basically locking in the bank in 2018, 2019, 2020 dollars and the, the purchasing power of that dollar. We're kind of freezing that in time and then riding, you know, riding any sort of inflation up along the way and our rents can kind of ride up uh, along with that. So it's, it's definitely interesting, you know, um, and it's kind of a new game with that much liquidity and money printing that's happened. Um, so we just try and kind of take it a, a month at a time and do the, do the best deals we can that are in front of us, you know? I think so. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a sort of mindset that you have to come uh, overcome with certain investors. They have this sort of stock market mindset right. um, where they're, they're, you know, the market's very tippy right now. And, and as we've seen, the market can drop 2,000 points in one night. I mean, it was unbelievable back in February and March what was going on right. with the stock market. And unfortunately, that sort of finds its way into people's uh, psyche when it comes to investing in general. And uh, for those of us that are pretty educated in the multifamily space, um, we, we, don't, we don't feel that um, uh, on walking on eggshells, you know. Um, right. You have to kind of explain to people, uh, well, look, this is, this is a long-term game with this apartment building that we're going to buy. You know, if we have plenty of capital reserves, um, for a rainy day, cover anything that might occur. Uh, if we get some nice long-term debt, granted, you know, you don't want to have to be paying some prepayment penalties, but if, if it's in your business plan to hang on to this thing for a bit, mm-hmm. um, we can ride the storm out. And um, yeah, it might be some, there might be some bumps. I think we expected some, some big potholes this year. Sure. They just haven't come, right? I mean, I know. Collect, yeah. collections across my portfolio have been 90% plus. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I mean, collections and occupancy are like, like nothing happened. It's bizarre. Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, people people don't want their credit to go in the tank, or um, they 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 don't want to um, have their ability to rent uh, get harmed by you know having that that uh, black mark on their yeah, that's their, right, their, their record. Not and if they can help it. Yeah. No, no, and um, you know, you're going to have those that. They're, I call them professional tenants. You know, I've definitely had a few of those in my, my, in my past that know how to work the system. And um, unfortunately, you're going to get those, but, um, you, you know, you can deal with that. And, you know, you're talking about how the government um, luckily doesn't get involved in multifamily, but the, 
it was odd how the CDC got involved in this moratorium on evictions. Um, look, you know, you don't want to, um, you don't want people out on the street. Definitely not. Yeah, that's um, right. But there are those people that uh, they, they know every rule <laughs> about how to uh, stay in a place without getting evicted. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, boy, it sure is an interesting time. That's right. Never a dull moment. That's, that's for sure. So we all kind of, um, you know, we're recording this in December. Somebody, if you're listening to this, you know, you're probably listening to it a few weeks later, but I think everybody's kind of ready to wrap this year up, have a little downtime this month. And, uh, you know, let's see what next year has in store for us. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully better. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny you said, I was thinking, yeah, it's the, it's the holidays, you know? Um, I, I always kind of like that. It, I don't know about you, but it, it sort of gets me running slow out of the gate in January. Some people yeah. are able to, you know, just come out of the holidays, um, guns blazing. Um, I, I hope I'm that guy this year. Um, but I do like that, that downtime. I love, you know, I love quality time with my boys and my wife and, um, and Hey, you know, that's all of our goal with this, right? We're, yeah. We, we kind of want to, not that every day is a holiday, but we definitely want to have um, more free time to spend uh, with those that we want to spend time with. Yeah. You know, money's the currency that allows you to spend the real currency of time, right? Money's only there as kind of a, a tool so that you have that time currency. Um, and this business creates that, you know, if you, as a lot of us have, have seen. So um that's why that's why we're doing it is to get that time currency and be able to spend that time currency as we as we wish and maybe that's working but it's by choice right which I think is a different thing than than um, than having to go work a job that you hate or something like that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I, you know, I think people who are working remotely now, um, those that are lucky enough to work remotely, are getting a taste of of what it's like not to have to commute to work every day and, and, right. and, and, and get back that extra, you know, depending on where you are in the country, get to, you know, five, 10 hours a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do you want to go back to that? Um, right. And maybe it'll encourage people uh, to, uh, you know, do, do things like invest in multifamily <laughs> and um, create, create some nice income streams. So you're not so dependent on that W2. Yeah, I think that's a really important concept for anybody is to have some more legs on the table. You know, I mean, if you got a W-2, one leg holding the table up, it can be pretty easy to, to lose that leg on the table. But if you start, get, you start putting more under it, it just creates a, uh, creates a lot more, um, I guess, peace of mind at the end of the day. So if you can be in something that's creating more peace of mind and more, more uh, time, I mean, that's kind of that's a win. That's a great way of putting it. Um, I, and that, that happened with me, you know, um, yeah. I still have my, my, uh, my alternate con career of, uh, doing, doing some stuff for the entertainment business. I'm on a consulting basis, so I don't have to do it full time, but, nice. um, at, you know, the advertising world slowed down there, uh, uh quickly for a while. Sure. sure. Um, and I was, you know, I was so thankful to have that, those, uh, those income streams coming in and, and, um, really i never worried you know and um that's huge i think that's the mindset you have to get away from you don't you don't have to work you know for the next 50 years 40 years whatever it is build this nest egg and then you know guard that nest egg and and watch every penny come out of it and dwindle and dwindle and dwindle <laughs> no you just get this plan where you continually get your money working for you and that way it, it never 
it's never ending, right? It's sustainable. It's a sustainable plan. And um, it's something that it's going to get you through life. I mean, this thought of like, oh, I got to save that nest egg until I die. You know, I got to time it perfectly. That's not going to work. It's um, not going to work. Yeah. And Especially then now, who knows how long you're going to live these days? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to plan for a 10 year nest egg cash and then you live 30 years. I mean, that's, yeah, that's crazy. You want, you're, you're trying to time your death, which is a ridiculous <laughs> uh, proposition. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it is. Um, so yeah. And it's something that you can pass on to the kids too. um, get them thinking that way. And, um, it's just a new mindset and, uh, it's not that new, but a lot of people are just discovering it. Um, yep. and it's a good one to have. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Well, Rick, this is, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate catching up and, and kind of talking about your journey. If uh, somebody listening wants to connect with you and with Fortress, your company, what's, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, definitely go to my website, www.fortressfederation.com. I have a lot of good uh, content up there. That's free. Free is good. And uh, I have a, a free ebook that is a quick start guide to investing in syndication. So you can kind of get up and running if you're looking for a little more education on that front. And um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look up Fortress Federation and you can find me on Facebook, Fortress Federation. And just established a YouTube channel, uh, getting all that content together. And I'll Excellent. continue to do that. So find me on YouTube. And then, of course, you can reach out to me at rick at fortressfederation.com directly. Awesome. We'll link to the website in the show notes, but yeah, uh, really great content there for you guys listening. Go check out Rick's content. Some of the video content and other syndication related stuff was very well put together. Um, we'll link to that in the show notes and Rick, it was a pleasure to connect with you, man. Thanks for your time. I enjoyed it. Uh, such an honor to be here, Devin. I appreciate you having me. All right. Take care. All right. See you, Devin. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.